light on it? Is that good? Green means go. Well, with my microphone safely on, we can get started. Good evening to you all. Thank you for being here this evening on this Lord's Day, where we've come back to hear again from the Word of God. We are in Numbers chapter 9, and as I make my way through my introduction, I would like for you all to turn there with me. We're going to look at the first 14 verses this evening. But I want to start by bringing up the fact that there is an outright heretical, altogether unorthodox teaching that has permeated and polluted uh, modern soteriological thought. In fact, there have been entire so-called denominations founded on this heresy, uh, thankfully, I would scarcely call them denominations, though, certainly not under the umbrella of Protestantism. They are rather more accurately named as false religions altogether separated from Christianity. The reason they are so is because they subscribe to the notion that God would accept any that seek Him so long as their hearts be in the right place. In that I mean that any attempt to serve a God, lowercase g, will ultimately lead a person to the true God, capital G. Now, of course, there are many things wrong with this notion. We won't get into all of them. This is just an introduction. But I do want to say a few things. First and foremost, of course, one thing wrong with this is that Scripture teaches that no one seeks after God. We read that in Romans 3.11. Commenting on that verse, I want to read a quote to you by A.W. Pink, where he says, It was God who sought out and called Abram while yet an idolater. It was God who sought Jacob at Bethel when he was fleeing from the consequences of his wrongdoing. It was God who sought Moses while a fugitive in Midian. It was Christ who sought out the apostles while they were engaged in fishing so that he could say, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you in John 15:16. It was Christ who in his infallible love came to seek and save that which was lost. It is the shepherd who seeks the sheep and not the sheep that seek the shepherd. How true is it then that we love Him because He first loved us, as we read in 1 John 4.19. It was not Adam who sought God, but God who sought Adam. And this has been the order ever since. End quote. Even still, this universalist understanding of salvation in which we can take, choose our own path and God will be satisfied in that, is wrong in that it supposes that any man since the fall has had a heart that is in the right place for God to receive them. We read all throughout Scripture that our hearts are wicked, deceitful, and if you recall from our study through Ephesians, we are indeed possessors of dead hearts. Salvation comes through 
God giving us a new heart, not through Him accepting our sin-ruined existing ones. Worst of all, though, I think about this misconception about how one can be made righteous before the Lord is that it makes Christ a liar and makes the cross meaningless. Praise God, the cross is not meaningless, and Christ is, as He said, the way, the truth, and the life with the definitive article. I say all this to remind us of the reality that we've been looking at in Numbers so far, and that we will see again this evening. That God cares about the way that He is worshipped. Everything that He commanded communicates something to us about His nature. And with that said, let's go ahead and read the first 14 verses of Numbers chapter 9. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the people of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the fourteenth day of this month at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time. According to all its statutes and all its rules, you shall keep it. So Moses told the people of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover in the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at twilight, in the wilderness of Sinai. According to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the people of Israel did. And there were certain men who were unclean through touching a dead body, so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron on that day. And those men said to him, We are unclean through touching a dead body. Why are we kept from bringing the Lord's offering at its appointed time among the people of Israel? And Moses said to them, Wait, that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If any of you or of your descendants is unclean through touching a dead body, or is on a long journey, he shall keep the Passover to the Lord. In the second month on the fourteenth day, at twilight, they shall keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until the morning, nor break any of its bones, according to all that the statute for the pas- all the statute for the Passover, they shall keep it. But if anyone who is clean and is not on a journey fails to keep the Passover, that person shall be cut off from his people because he did not bring the Lord's offering at its appointed time. That man shall bear his sin. And if a stranger sojourns among you and would keep the Passover to the Lord according to the statute of the Passover and according to its rule, so shall he do. You shall have one statute both for the sojourner and for the native. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your church for the clarity that You bring about through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Father, we thank You that You are not the author of confusion. You have given us truth and allowed us to understand it. Help us to do that tonight. Help me, Father, to rightly divide Your Word and to do so with great Gospel clarity. May we always be found looking to Your Word for instruction on holiness. 
Father, may the Spirit encourage, instruct, and correct through this text tonight in ways that I couldn't have intended in my own study so that you could receive all the glory in this time of worship through our meditating on Your Word. Help us to believe Your Word and to love it and to love You more and more through it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have 14 verses tonight, and I want to split these up by parsing them into three sections. In verses 1 through 5, we have what I'm going to call the command. In verses 6 through 8, we will see the conundrum. Then in verses 9 through 14, we will see the consistency, the three C's. I was going to break it down into seven C's, but I thought that would be a little overboard. Uh, So let's begin with focusing on the first five verses. Here we have the Lord's command to celebrate the Passover. The Lord commands them to keep it at its appointed time and according to all of its statutes. The details of those statutes are laid out for us, of course, in the institution of the Passover in Exodus 12, and we won't get into all of the details tonight, but you can also see some of them marked in Leviticus regarding the sacrifices for the Passover feast. And the Lord does not go into all the details when addressing the Israelites in this manner, uh, this go-round either. The Israelites are just one year removed from the Lord instituting the Passover on the night before the final plague in Egypt, in which he smote all of the firstborn Egyptian males, including Pharaoh's, and spared, of course, the lives of the firstborn Israelites whose home the the angel passed over due to the blood being marked on their doorposts. Now, a year later, the Lord is commanding the Israelites to again celebrate the Passover in the wilderness of Sinai. This celebration is to be a reminder for them. It is a time to praise Yahweh for His deliverance. It's a time to meditate on the fact that they are indeed a redeemed people. Even in the wilderness, God has delivered them from the captivity, and they are now making their way to claim the promise God made them. What a time of rejoicing. This is the first of many celebrations for the Lord's saving work in Egypt to come for the Israelites. They are not surprised by this command either. In Exodus 12, when the Passover was first instituted, God says there in verse 14 that... This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. So what we see there is that the Lord established the Passover to be a recurring celebration. The Israelites were to obey and worship for generation after generation. A statute forever. We've discussed the significance of this continuation of the celebration before, and I'll just quickly remind you that the Israelites' obedience was to serve many um, purposes, not the least of which would be witness to their own children. We're also going to see later on in these verses the implications of not celebrating the Passover. Before getting there, though, we read in verse 5 that the Israelites kept the Passover just as the Lord commanded them. Here we see a great display of obedience on behalf of the Israelites. And I want to just go ahead and 
take a moment here and front load what we'll see in the coming chapters of Numbers and so that you're not just shell-shocked by the fact that this will soon not be their posture. But right now, this is a beautiful testimony of obedience in the camp of Israel. So, let's now move on and look at this exceptional case beginning in verse 6, for which I have named this section the conundrum. (laughs) We have seen God's command uh, to keep the Passover, and now we're looking at a unique case that is causing some angst amongst these certain men. In verse 6, we see these certain men that have become ceremonially unclean through contact with a dead body, Uh, an idea that we're familiar with from chapter 5 of Numbers These men are distressed and come before Moses and Aaron to seek an answer about whether or not they would be able to celebrate the Passover. Here again, we see a great desire for obedience on part of these men. Now, this is a twofold desire. On one hand, we hope that these people seek to serve God and honor Him for His deliverance, but also they fear potentially the judgment that is to come for not partaking of the Passover feast as the Lord commanded it. And we'll have more on that later. But again, in chapter 5 of Numbers, we saw that contact with a dead body rendered one ceremonially unclean until they had completed the necessary means of purification. According to Leviticus chapter 7, the one that was made unclean by contact with a dead body could not partake of a sacrificial meal, thus thus the cause for concern amongst these men. Thankfully, the Lord provides a way for these people to be made clean, as explained in Numbers 19, without stepping too much on the toes of the person that is slated to preach that text, which is me. The the defilement that comes from contact with a dead body rendered them unclean for seven days and required a particular ceremony for ritually washing them clean again. We won't get into all the details of that. Because of this, these men are concerned with how they can obey the command of the Lord in keeping the Passover. So then, what does Moses do when they come to him with this question? Well, he guesses, right? He gets puffed up with pride in his position of authority and figures that he knows what the Lord would have for them to do here. Of course not. If we look at the text, no, that is not what he does. It says that Moses said to them, Wait that I will hear what the Lord will command concerning you. Now, if you aren't taking notes, I would encourage you to find a pen and write that down. That Moses went immediately to the Lord for guidance here. When I read this, I see a a great deal of godly wisdom that we should seek to emulate. I don't mean to make prescriptive what the Lord is only intending to be descriptive here, but I'm reminded elsewhere in Scripture of men of God who sought the Lord's wisdom through prayer. Immediately when I read that verse, I thought of the prophet Nehemiah. I love the book of Nehemiah because, uh, well, in particular, I see Nehemiah as a man who is steeped in much prayer. At, At many turns in that book, you find Nehemiah going to the Lord in prayer. I want to share a little bit of that with you before we move on. 
where we see in the first chapter Nehemiah getting word that the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile were in trouble. The wall of Jerusalem had been destroyed. The gates were, um, had been set fire to, had, had fire set to them. And um, Nehemiah's response in verse 4 of chapter 1 is, and I quote, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, I wish I had time to read that beautiful, God-exalting prayer, but it's not the, exactly the point of why I'm bringing this up tonight. So let's move on to chapter 2, where we have another scene from Nehemiah, where he's serving as cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. And we get this exchange in chapter 2. It says, in the, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you would send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. So there I want you to see where Nehemiah, having been questioned about his countenance, explains the reason for his distress. And then when the king asks what Nehemiah is wanting to have happen, in regards to that, he immediately prays before his response. Now likewise, in our text from Numbers, Moses is presented with a question about how these men are supposed to proceed regarding the Passover. Immediately, Moses goes before the Lord to seek counsel. We'll see God's response in my final point, but I want to camp here a little bit longer before moving on to that. In our New Testament context, As we discussed this morning in Sunday school, we are told to seek wisdom from the Lord. James 1.5, actually Clark, if you remember, quoted some of the later verses in the first chapter of James this morning. But James 1.5, as you'll recognize, says that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. The wisdom in those verses refers to the practical understanding of how to live the Christian life so so to bring glory to God through it. And of course, we have God's Word to reveal these things to us today. However, we would be remiss to simply see those verses and think that it means to only go to God's Word. We know that we are also commanded to go to the Lord in prayer. As Christian loves to quote, from 2 Timothy chapter 3, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Amen. However, we are also commanded to pray, and we have a great privilege in that and should take every opportunity to do so. James is speaking there to the 
the believers about their trials that God has used to test their faith, and the natural response for the man of God in the midst of these trials, as we saw with Nehemiah, should be to go to our Heavenly Father. So now, we can go to the final verses, 9-14, through and see the consistency that I made mention of when I was naming my points earlier. So far, we've looked at how God has commanded the Israelites to keep the Passover in the first year since their deliverance from Egyptian captivity. In an obedience response, the Israelites kept the Passover according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. Then we had the conundrum arise when these men who were made unclean through contact with a dead body but were still wanting to keep the Passover in obedience to God. They came to Moses to hear what they should do, and Moses took the matter to the Lord for guidance. Now we get to the heart of what I want to talk about, which in verses 9 through 14 is the Lord responding in the only way that he can, and that is with consistency. Upholding his righteous command while at the same time providing a way for the faithful Israelites to keep the Passover. These verses are a wonderful reminder of God's attributes. Praise God for His character. He is so good. He is immutable, wise, merciful, just. We see all of that on display here and more. In His immutability, we mean that He cannot change. You know, there's a misconception that supposes that there is a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. and The God of the Old Testament is wrathful and unjust and cranky. And the God of the New Testament, the pendulum swings to the complete other side. And He is merciful and forgiving and loving and completely erases His wrath. And I think that what causes that misconception is a, a forgetting of one of His other key attributes that I think is often overlooked, and that is the unity of God. In that I mean that God, in all of His attributes, He possesses them all fully at the same time without compromising or contradicting any of them. Thank God for that. Another um, thing that I want us to see in these verses is that God is just and merciful, of course. We see his great display of wisdom here too. Just seeing, reading the consistency that he has this plan in place. And of course ultimately in the consistency of the Passover celebration pointing to, the, uh, to Christ. So this consistency of course does not span just through these verses but through the whole of Scripture. To say that God is intelligent in his design, simply doesn't give him enough glory. He designed his creation, his law, and his plan of salvation in such a way that only the fool could argue against it. God's nature is so glaringly obvious, and yet we can't fully mine the depths of it in a lifetime. Even that speaks to who God is. So now let's look at God's response to Moses, starting in verse 10. Allow me to reread these verses once more to remind you of where we are. Beginning in verse 10. Speak to the people of Israel, saying, 
if any of you or of your descendants is unclean through touching a dead body or is on a long journey, he shall still keep the Passover to the Lord. In the second month, on the fourteenth day at twilight, they shall keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until the morning, nor break any of its bones. According to all that the statute for the Passover, they shall keep it. But if anyone who is clean and is not on a journey fails to keep the Passover, that person shall be cut off from his people because he did not bring the Lord's offering at its appointed time. That man shall bear his sin. And if a stranger sojourns among you and would keep the Passover to the Lord according to the statute of the Passover and according to its rule, so shall he do. You shall have one statute both for the sojourner and for the native. We were presented with these men coming before Moses, of course, before Moses and Aaron, to, to ask about one unique situation. Someone who had been made ceremonially unclean through the, t- the contact with a dead body. However, God, in His response, gives instruction, gives, new law, gives the law for how to handle three different situations that would keep someone from observing the Passover at its appointed time. Before getting into these, though, I want us to read a quote from a commentary I read on this response to Moses. I I just really want to settle us in here to what I hope you're realizing is a, a beautiful section of Scripture. The commentary reads, The grace of God can be seen not only in the words of His response to Moses, but also in that He responded at all. We need to grasp anew the concept of the audacity of faith. By what right, accepting only God's great grace, did Moses dare to go before Yahweh, the creator of the universe, and request a provision for exception from his demands? All God's actions and words to his people were gracious, undeserved, and unmerited. That he spoke at all, even in demands, was a mark of his condescension. That he spoke favorably in response to the request of Moses is a marvel. Throughout, we have a sense of the ongoing wonder of grace. I had to read all that because it just so eloquently presents what I was hoping to get at in in naming some of those attributes of God that we observe here. Friends, that God has spoken to us is indeed a marvel. But not only that, the Word Himself came and condescended to dwell with us and to die on the cross and bear our sins. Only God-given faith can accept such a humbling truth. But let's look now more at what God's response is in a little more detail. So He has permitted another opportunity exactly one month later for any who had been made ceremonially unclean. And in this we see the consistency again of the Lord in that only the time frame in which the Passover is to be celebrated, that meaning that it is one month past the initial appointed time, that is the only difference. Every other statute of the Passover feast is to be kept by those that would take it at a later time. Additionally, 
God's provision extends not only to those that are ceremonially unclean through the contact with a dead body, but also to those that had been away from the camp during the keeping of the Passover in the first month. The inclusion here may seem a little obscure, but I want to read or I want to explain a couple of different interesting thoughts on this matter that I came across in study. One thought, and this is the one that I would probably most closely subscribe to, was that the leaving of the camp would by extension make the one who left unclean as well because they are outside of the place in which the Lord dwells, going out into the world and therefore making themselves ceremonially unclean. And therefore God is giving this instruction to them also because it's a similar scenario in their uh, ceremonial uncleanliness. Another proposition which I think might be less likely, although still I want to bring it up, is that the proposition, uh, that phrase, um, on a long journey, is um, posed by some to just be a figure of speech that is intended to communicate that the Lord is providing an opportunity for any extreme scenario that would keep a faithful Israelite from observing the Passover in the first month. Again, I don't think that's quite as likely. I think it, we should take it as its literal meaning uh, more so here. But in either case, we can't miss that the Lord is providing for situations that are irregular. As we would say today, these are cases in which someone has been providentially hindered. This is not just some lazy Israelite choosing not to um, take the... This does not extend to a lazy Israelite that just chooses not to keep the Passover in the first month. And we'll see that later on. All of the statutes of this feast are to remain, again, pointing to the Lord's consistency. That also points to uh, tell us, communicate to us, that God's commands are not trivial. They are very intentional. Therefore, they must remain consistent across both these celebrations. Remember, this Passover celebration is communicating something. Not only is it communicating as a reminder back to the Lord's deliverance from it, of His people from the bondage in Egypt, but it also communicates forward to His deliverance in the, of the New Testament believers from the bondage of sin through our Passover Lamb, Jesus Christ. I was struck by the providence of the Lord in bringing us to this section when He did because initially, if we were to have met on Sunday evening last week, we would have studied this Passover text on Resurrection Sunday. However, now we're, uh, given that we did not meet last week, we are looking at it and have a chance again to meditate on that blessed truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as we should every day. So rejoicing in the historical fact of the resurrection of our Savior is what should daily drive us to live for Him in humble obedience and gratitude. I would love to consider all the typology of the Passover. We simply don't have time. But let's look now at verse 14 before getting into some more on, the, uh, on Christ's sacrifice. In verse 14, we have another unique situation where God gives law. 
It's a case in which a Gentile, someone outside the camp of Israel, has come to faith in the God of Israel, and he must therefore, if he intends to keep the Passover, be circumcised before celebrating. Again, this is a reminder of his consistency, and it's a great reminder also to us that the Israelites uh, were to be that shining example to the nation surrounding them. This is a scenario that would be a result of them indeed being the light to the other nations. Um, it's also a reminder that God is faithful to keep his promise in the Abrahamic covenant that all peoples on the earth would be blessed through him. And church, this is a picture for us today too. We likewise are to be witnessing to a lost and dying world. When uh, the Lord saves a lost and dying sinner today, though, his circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, as, the Paul, as Paul tells in Romans chapter 2. When God saves us, we are ushered in as his chosen elect through inward transformation, not by anything done externally. Of course, we have pictures in the ordinances within the church today uh, given in the Lord's Supper and in baptism that communicate these like the Passover was an external communication as well. Here again we see just the Lord's consistency and His grace across both the Old and New Covenant. Let's continue looking um, at this really quickly uh, and I hope that most of this is still fresh on your mind coming off of Passion Week, the Lord is explicit in His instructions, more so in His giving of the law to Moses about this secondary, well, I shouldn't say secondary, but in the second opportunity for keeping the Passover than He is in the first one. He wants to make double clear that they are to keep it according to all its statutes, regardless of it being one month past the initial uh, appointed time. And so, I think also in that, we are able to remember the great and final sacrifice of Christ's crucifixion. We see that God's commands are not flippant or frivolous or superficial, but instead they are supernatural. Everything He has done, everything He has commanded is for His own glory, this is ultimately displayed in the cross. Again, I'd love to go into the typology there, but we just don't have time. And so we'll do a quick overview and remember this big picture that God sent Christ Jesus to take on flesh and be our Passover lamb. Again, Paul writing to address the divisiveness that had crept into the church in Corinth told them to remove the old leaven of malice and evil and replace it with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And that is because Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. We have hope today because Christ has indeed delivered us from sin and death in His sacrificial death and resurrection. The resurrection was God the Father communicating that He has accepted the sacrifice of the Paschal lamb. We now live for Christ because of that. We obey with grateful hearts just as the Israelites obeyed in this passage in keeping of the Passover. However, 
in all the obedience, we also see a warning that we should also heed within the blessing of this separate provision. That is, that one could not simply dismiss the Passover feast and choose to celebrate on the second go-around because, in that case, they were to be cut off. As in the first Passover, where any Israelite did not keep the statutes and apply the blood on the doorposts, that failing to observe would result in certain death for the transgressors, for the firstborn within that household. The phrase, to be cut off from the people, has a couple of interpretations, but none of them would argue against the phrase meaning that God's judgment would be carried out in the death of the one who chose not to keep the Passover. How that death would come about, be it a judicial process or the Lord um, providentially um, taking that person's life later on or uh, having them banished from the camp is a little vague, um, but of course even the banishing from the camp in the wilderness of Sinai would certainly result in death. And so, this only further solidified when God says that the one who disobeys will bear his own sin. I do not have to remind you of the consequences of sin. The wages of sin is death. And so then, let this be a reminder to all of us that we are not to trample God's mercy. As failing to keep the Passover meant certain death, so also does the disregard for our Passover lamb, Christ, that too results in certain death. For the believer, though, this should be no issue. We are dead to sin, right? As we talked about just this morning in 1 Peter 4, Christ, having willingly submitted to the will of the Father, has given us victory over sin and death, and we are likewise to have minds like His emulating that willingly submitting to the Father and making death dead to us, putting ourselves to death every day in obedience. As Paul says in Romans, of course, we do not go on sinning that grace may more abound. We must respond to God's mercy in thanksgiving and obedience. God being merciful to the exceptional cases here in Numbers is not a provision for those lazy Israelites to be slack in their obedience, which of course would be disobedience. Now of course there's a lot more to be said on this, but I'm going to wrap it up. And I want you all to remember, brothers and sisters, that Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been offered up for our sins. We should daily celebrate in joyful obedience the new calling in our lives, the call to be holy. We, are, we have provision to go boldly in prayer. We must not abuse the grace of God, but live instead for His glory with the grace of God allowing us to do so. If you do not know the Lord as your personal Savior, though, then you see, as the Lord commands here, what is your lot? You are cut off from His chosen people. As Dallas is careful to explain at the Lord's table each and every Sunday, 
the danger of partaking of that ordinance without truly being born again, without truly being in a righteous standing before God. You can be brought in, though, praise God for that, through the circumcision of the heart, which is available to all that would repent and believe, and then you can partake of that feast at the Lord's Supper, and with all the saints, say, sing, that which Horatius Bonar penned in the 19th century. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease the weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. Thy love to me, O God, not mine, O Lord, to Thee, can rid me of this dark unrest and set my spirit free. I praise Thee, God of grace, I trust His truth and might. He calls me His, I call Him mine, my God, my joy, my light. My Lord has saved my life and freely pardon gives. And this last stanza, which again reminds you of how we started this morning. I love because He first loved me. I live because He lived. And so with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are humbled tonight by this text, which we see, Lord, Your righteous standard, Your perfect decrees to Your people. We see the intentionality of Your commands, and we recognize Your perfect design in that. Lord, and we also see, while You command perfect obedience, you have given provision knowing that we cannot keep your law perfectly. In this text we saw where you provided a way for those that had been made unclean to celebrate and obey in keeping of the Passover. And of course, ultimately, Father, your justice was satisfied um, on the cross when Mercy and justice met and You allowed provision for us to be made righteous before You knowing that in and of ourselves we could never. Father, I pray that this truth would so deeply root in our hearts that we would live wholly devoted to You, always seeking to glorify You and die to self, remembering Christ, our Passover Lamb, who has taken away our sins. We praise You and give You all the glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.